You are now listening to Infinite Rewind, a podcast brought to you by YFC. Yeah, Soleil is funny. If you pick up Soleil from school, uh, when she walks out, you'd think she's like JFK getting out of the airplane. Like she's just like saying bye to everyone and like everyone's so happy that she exists. It's insane. I'm like, how are you a celebrity at four years old? Swag. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole different level. So, yeah. Um, All right, gentlemen, uh, we do need to get right to the paper chase. I'm hard stop. Uh, yeah, hard stopping at 10 o'clock for me. Okay. So, all righty. We do need to get to it. So, <laughs> y'all ready to do this? Yeah, well, it's a good thing there's uh, not too many layers to this album. Showing <laughs> <laughs> his cards early, my man. Um, all right. So, Ro, help me out with the episode number. This must be 27? 25, bro. Five. Officially 25. 25. All right. So we are getting started with episode 25 of our world-recognized, multi-nominated podcast, Infinite Rewind. Uh, I'm your host, Benny Bachata, a.k.a. the Brown Sugar Brother. I'm joined by Algo, a.k.a. Scarbelly, and Libby, a.k.a. working on number two this morning. Uh, We are here just delivering the heat all three levels of flavor and giving y'all our deepest most honest uh, reviews of albums remember the goal of our exploration here is we're looking for the perfect album but we're also looking to stretch our musical comfort levels and this week we're going to be reviewing the 1967 uh, Beatles album self-titled but also called the White Album Uh, We'll talk about that later. Uh, But this is an album that came after some of their more popular albums at the time. Definitely came after Revolver, Rubber Soul, and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, It's a long album. I believe it's their longest album and definitely has the most amount of tracks. But we're getting the Beatles in the late 1960s, working through their creative process. And there's definitely a lot of baggage that you can feel throughout this album even if you didn't read any of the background history or like context context of what's happening at the time you could definitely get the sense that there's something going on here uh bigger than the Beatles but I'm sure that I'm not alone in this which is I brought a lot of expectations and understanding of the Beatles to this listening. So I kind of want to start with that and just get a sense of what type of, I guess, gift and positive aspects of the Beatles music did you really appreciate that you were bringing into this album? Like what's something about the Beatles that you think, yo, I love this about the Beatles and I'm bringing sort of that expectation to this listening. Their songwriting has always jumped out at me. Uh, Their ability to write a song that captures a dope emotion, but also really brings you to the center of a story or a feeling, an emotion. And I love I love their pairing of lyric writing along with their um, instrumentation. Um, this album was predominantly written on, a, I know, uh, acoustic guitars, but even with the minimalist approach in a lot of the uh, 
songs on this album. I think the pairing of their songwriting abilities and their composition, the, even just on a simplistic level, is very beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I, I brought that from previous uh, Beatles album and, and definitely while listening to the White Album. Totally agree. I think that's um, <clears throat> when I when I listen to the Beatles, I hear. Um, I'm, always, I'm always impressed by how beautiful um, they can make something that's like that's some, out of something so simple. Um, and there's there's definitely in in most songs like a positive attitude, a positive vibe, um, and I think it just becomes just by how crisp everything sounds um totally uh, I, I agree with raul that it's like the the, the interwoven um songwriting and, and composition um the being able to i think you just said and i totally agree capturing an emotion like a raw emotion uh within the music um in such a to me it's just such a clear clean crisp fashion it's like bam it's in front of you it's not like you have to go searching for it. It's it's there from start to finish. Um, yeah, I, I, that was really uh, evident throughout this album. Um, this was definitely it was definitely a Beatles album. It just seemed like it was it wasn't as poppy. I mean, there's definitely mm-hmm. songs in this album that captured that old Beatles essence of, of, of that pop energy. But this this seemed to take it. It was definitely more creative, yet still Beatles all the same um so yeah it was it was to me um all the what to me what how I recognized the Beatles it was just it was clearly to me there was no fooling me this was a Beatles album <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah you weren't confused you're like this <laughs> might be boys to men but let's let's play this out a little bit right yeah I think the Beatles have this magical ability to sonically show how the sum is greater than the individual parts and there are so many moments in the beatles discography where you just feel like okay it's not just ringo here it's not just paul it's not just john like collectively they're able to give you this beautiful fusion this beautiful unity where sometimes you can't really pick apart exactly who's doing what but you just feel this like sensation of wow they are really expanding here and it all sounds very cohesive and i really really appreciate it. And i look for those moments i remember the very first time i listened to the beatles uh the first song i ever heard was here comes the sun and there are so many like beautiful guitar melodies there that are backed by gorgeous vocals that are accompanied with like great simple but like deep lyrics they're able to like bring it all together i think better than anyone any band that i can truly think about in, in a way it's very accessible too uh, i'm sure there are bands that could like nerd out and give you crazy compositions and ridiculous chord structures and like very dense lyricism but they have this balance man of being very accessible but just so smooth that i truly appreciate um and that's why i think this album to me is such an interesting one because it's almost like they took that to a different extreme. And the producer, George R. Martin, I think has a really interesting perspective on this album, which I guess the first time that he heard the album was after the Beatles came back from their trip to India. And they spent a lot of time writing music while they were in India. And they came back with a whole bunch of songs, like even more than ended up on this album. 
And his whole perspective was, yo, we got to just take 40, 50 of these songs and like distill them down to 10. And then we'd have a great album. On the contrary, Ringo's favorite Beatles album is the White Album because he felt like there was so much space to create. There was so much channels to lock into and explore that it's the most Beatles album in that sense. And I'm curious from your perspectives, where do you all fall on that spectrum? Do you all agree with George R. Martin? Do you feel like, man, if we just whittled this thing down to like a classic 30 to 40 minute Beatles album, like all the other Beatles albums are about 30 to 40 minutes. Or do you all fall more in the Ringo direction where you feel like, wow, I, I, it's almost like I got a Beatles album plus all the behind the scenes. And that really is a more connective experience. Where do you all fall on that spectrum? Definitely on the, um, the side with Ringo. Um, I do think that there were some fillers in this album. Um, there was high points and low points for sure. Um, but I wasn't you know i'm familiar with walking into this review i was familiar with maybe five or six of the songs on this album so listening to all the songs in between those you know again very familiar with birthday um why my guitar gently weeps of course uh blackbirds but you know to, to fill in the gap so to speak from you know track one to the last track um it was a lot of fun and um i thought it was perfect the way it was put together. I mean, I don't totally agree with all the songs. I don't think this is a perfect album, uh, but uh, spoiler alert, but um, it's definitely, it was rich. It was fun. It was a fun listen, you know, and I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad they did it this way because I really felt like I got to know each one of them really like this album was like very, you know, you say it meant, then you mentioned them being like, you know, a core group and showing strength as, a, you know, the sum is greater than the individual parts. This album, to me, seemed totally individualistic, you know, totally what, like, you know, this is John's song. Okay, this is uh, Ringo's song, that one song that he gets, you know. it's a, It seems like it's a battle, creative battle between Paul McCartney and John Lennon for most of it. And, um, well, like, George Harrison, like, nails one song and then like kind of has a few forgettable ones it's like why are these on here but it's cool that you get to see these guys flex their creative muscles and like really throw songs out there that i never would have heard before you wouldn't hear on the radio and then you know you have to listen to this album to find them then you create your own opinion and um you know i'm sorry i'm, I'm just glad that they did it um i think it's it's a, it's inspiring because I don't think, you know, because you come to know the Beatles early on with their earlier albums, it's like they couldn't miss. Like every song was like really, really good. So for them to miss was kind of like, you know, it's, it's they're human, but like they're really trying something here. You know, each one of them is trying to bring something almost on their own and then the rest they lock in, you know, and, um, and really capture that sound no matter how many takes they do. Um, so yeah, no, I'm totally, I'm glad that they gave us a, you know, a treasure trove of songs on this album. So, yeah. Yeah. It's tough because, you know, as being artists, I'm sure we uh, appreciate having free range and being able to create 
what we would naturally without feeling like we need to appease to a certain audience. So I feel like with this album, the Beatles were trying to expand, not necessarily their uh, demographic, but just their their creative output, the kind of music. Because there's definitely a freaking, this is like a gumbo of different genres, essentially. Um, so I think it's dope that they each contributed in their own manner, their own fashion. However, I got to side with George Martin, man. There's way too many songs on this album. Way too many. There are 30 songs on this album. When, in all honesty, if had they made this a 15, 16 song uh, project, it would have been way better to listen to. Mm. Like, it's for me as a listener, and I've listened to this album a little bit in the past, not as in-depth as recently, but for me to sit there and listen to 30 songs, an hour and a half of music, it has to be very engaging. Every song has to be alluring captivating and that wasn't the case for me um, mm. so, somewhere like a few songs into the second uh half of this album i like i have to come back to it because it's it's there are songs that are very forgettable very forgettable songs on this album so, songs that i listened to like two to three times and it was almost painstaking you know it was mm. like, so However, on the contrast to that, there are other songs on this album that are remarkable, like, you know, the Dear Prudences, Why My Guitar Gently Weeps, uh, Blackbird, uh, Julia is such a remarkable song. There are so many remarkable songs on this album that I feel like had they shed extra fat and got rid of, you know, the not so great songs this like, album like, would have been ranked way higher in my like opinion. revolution nine and piggies and you know like like what wild, is, wild honey pie or whatever even bungalow bill i feel like didn't didn't need to be on here don't pass me by and the song why don't we do it on the road you gotta be kidding me dude so actually i want to give a good anecdote great. about that song um why don't we do it on the road um john lennon Ringo and George Harrison all showed up to the studio one morning and they heard that song for the very first time all together. Paul locked himself in a room and played every single instrument, wrote all the lyrics <laughs> and just showed them the song and was like, this is the way it's going to be down on the album. So a song like that to me is very telling of what the experience was like recording the White Album. It was like, you know, they had just struck gold with Sgt. Pepper, Revolver, whatever. Magic Mystery Tour is kind of a flop. But it seemed like they were all kind of pissed. Like, I want to do it this way. And I'm not even interested in having the conversations about, what do y'all think? Should we play octaves here? What if we change the key? Yo, let's add more lyrics. It, a song like, Why Don't We Do It On The Road was like, just someone put their head down and was like, we're doing it this way. And there is no room for collaboration. Um, yeah and i think that that was that right there uh from some of the stuff that i read online and videos that i watch is that paul mccartney apparently was on an ego trip during this album super and i don't know if we're gonna bring up the topic of yoko ono where she was brought to the equation and, and shifted the uh you know the paradigm of, of, of the group in a heavy way so I, I think paul was trying to gain control and saying you know this is what we're doing while John was trying to be extra whimsical and trying to, uh, you know, confine or conform to his new lady who was in the studio frequently while they were recording, mm. which had never been done before in Beatles recording history. So yeah. there were a lot of things that contributed to just, uh, I guess, just a huge difference in the recording process of this project.
Yeah, let, let, let's peel that back. So let's talk about the recording process and let's talk about the influences that were that were present there. Obviously, there seems to be something else pulling the Beatles at this time. And we talked a lot about how when they're cohesive, when they're all kind of like in sync and locked in, we get songs like Dear Prudence, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Um, what what do you all think were some of those outside influences that were, it sounds like we think we're kind of stretching them and kind of pulling them away from the core. Um, let's, let's peel that back a little bit and talk about how that could influence the recording process. Uh, it has to be start with Yoko Ono. Um, mm. I think, I think they were, out, I mean, from what I understand, they went out to India to really kind of, and it's like detox in a way, uh, get away from the distractions. The Pe Sergeant Pepper and Magic Mystery Tour were like LSD influenced. So they didn't bring any drugs with them when they went to India. Um, they were just kind of there to just get away from it all, clear their minds. And I think as Raul pointed out earlier, a lot of this, a lot of what they wrote, I mean, they only had an acoustic guitar, acoustic guitars with them. And uh, they just wrote a bunch of songs when they were out there. I think they cleared their minds, they came back, and when they got back in the studio, um, yeah, I mean, it's like they snapped back to reality, like from vacation, re remembered that they are, you know, the, the world's hottest band, unprecedented. And um, the, I think, well, I know what John Lennon was definitely uh, binging on, on drugs at this point. Uh, so he's he's kind of fucked up. Um, and he's got Yoko Ono kind of pushing him around. Um, and Paul McCartney's just trying to maintain control of the band. I think I think the locker room changed after they came back from India. And I think um, it McCartney reacted poorly, tried to maintain control. But I think Yoko Ono definitely had uh, a negative impact on the group because Lennon allowed her to be there. And um, at the same time, I think... I think his reaction was just so like aggressive to take control. He's going to do it his way. Um, Lennon and McCartney have always had, like they're credited with all the songwriting. They're constantly competing with each other. I think it boiled to a moment there. I think she might've been the tipping point that brought all these things to the surface. And then coming out of like left field, I mean, all along they've been letting George Harrison kind of just do his thing, but he's not in control. Now he's now he's seeking control, songwriting control. From here on out, he's got it guaranteed. It's like built into his contract that he gets at least one song in the album, all his. So, like at his direction, and you'll see like something in the way. Because uh, from here on out, like some of the best songs on the on the future Beatles albums are George Harrison songs, and he really becomes a prolific writer, songwriter. And it kind of stands out on his own. I think there was a riff, honestly, at this point. They came back from India. There was a riff in the locker room due to, um, you know, combination of drugs and um, world power being the hottest band and uh, new relationships. I mean, you got this, this lady. I don't know the full history of John and Yoko Ono, but I know that John was married and had a kid. And Hey Jude was written by Paul to John's son going through the divorce you know um i think it people change and they were changing and paul i mean it's hard not to have a full ego 
you know, and you go the size of the moon when you get the best, the hottest band in the world. So I think it was just a combination of things. I think the trip to India was designed to clear their minds. And I think for all intents and purposes, it produced some of their best music while they were out there with all the songs that they wrote. But it's like they snapped back to reality as soon as they got back to London. And it was just like the hustle bustle and everything just kind of came forward. And it was the beginning of the end between John and Paul. And it was kind of, I suppose it was inevitable at that point that they were going to break up. But um, yeah, I, I, that's, I guess I'd have to sum it up. I think it was just a, the, the locker room changed and uh, there was somebody new in the locker room and it kind of started, started the, uh, the breakup. Yeah, I feel like maybe this album was shortly after their apex or their climax. I think this is when they started going downhill. Um, and just imagine how hard it is to sustainably remain at the top when you're, you know, music's number one group, pop super icons. Imagine how difficult that must be to, you know, figure out a way to maintain that, to stay that relevant at the top of the music industry and it's unfortunate it's unfortunate when you know dynamics just change amongst groups man like these guys were playing music for a long time before this album and uh, i'm sure their desires shifted they perhaps didn't have the same uh goals in mind you know their songwritings uh songwriting abilities may have changed uh, it sounds like george harrison grew to be a much better songwriter and maybe he wanted to gain more control, and maybe some of the other guys did not want that to happen. Um, and, and it's unfortunate to throw uh, someone's partner, like Yoko, into the mix and for it to affect it in a negative way because there's, there's nothing doper than someone finding a partner who is good for them. And, and although a lot of people bash on Yoko, I've heard different accounts where Yoko was like the best thing that happened to John. Um, I don't know how true that may ring, but um, yeah, man, you, you throw all that in the mix along with, you know, drugs, the fame, the money, having accessibility to everything that you want. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, most groups will not have a long lasting career. It's very rare that some do. Like, for example, the locks in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in rap you know they've never had like a, a stint or any issue with each other there it's very rare where a group lasts forever with no friction no issue and they can just have a long lasting career um so unfortunately i think the beatles were susceptible to something that was probably inevitable mm. you know you take all the worldly things that it can affect humans period and then you multiply that times all the money they generated and 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 fame yeah, it's it's a fucking it's a stew of fucking fuckery, dude. It's not easy, man. It's interesting. I'm starting to see the White Album more as like a necessary part of the end of the Beatles movie. It's like they couldn't have done another Sgt. Pepper after this. They couldn't have done another Revolver. For the Beatles to end, they needed to have this experience where their own individuality was on the front line more so than their collective strengths. And it seems like that trip to India really like brought that into the awareness for people because let's keep it real. If you scan the Beatles lineup, who probably initiated that trip to India more than anyone? It was probably George Harrison's idea. You know, like after that, he definitely became more of like the spiritually conscious Beatle of the group. So 
So I wonder if them coming back and thinking, oh, I need to create another album with these people. Who am I really in this band? I wonder if that's when John was like, well, Yoko gives me that feeling of feeling the best version of myself. So I need her there. And then for Paul, it was like, I need control. So like, don't be in the room when I'm recording. And who knows what Ringo was doing? Like Ringo's always just like this other Beatle, unfortunately, in that in that mix. So it does feel like them as artists were really pushed to the brink after that trip to India. But they still had a role, right? The artist has a role in society. It's their role to to push limits, to express boundaries. And sometimes those boundaries are within, and sometimes those boundaries are like other people's limits and their perspectives. Um, I'm curious, what what did you all think the Beatles did exceptionally well in this album? Like as you scan the album for highlights and successes, uh, what are moments that you feel like, man, this was truly a successful moment um, for the Beatles in the White Album? Yeah, honestly, I would have to say, you know, one of my very first statements, man, it's, it's I love the impactfulness of simplistic yet thought-provoking and deep music. You know, some of the just songs that are driven by the guitar and just one main vocalist. I think when you're able to do that on 10 on a fucking upper level, dude, that I think that's one of the most beautiful things in music, man. It's simplicity yet depth, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And they do that... They do that at least six or seven times on this album. Mm. Yeah, this album's definitely got um, a, a majority of it is really these individual pieces. Uh, Julia, I Will, Blackbird. It's you know it's Paul or John just doing doing their thing. Uh, like dear like dear Martha, you know those uh, those are just they like, um But where they really lock in, I mean, so, so you take all those songs out of the equation, you really water down the album by at least, you cut it down by half, and then it's like half Beatles songs um, with like full band uh, with all personnel contributing. Um, it's kind of, it's go back and look, man, it's kind of shocking how many tracks on this album actually involve all four of them, as opposed to just like, you know, Paul doing it all or, you know, because even the songs that hat sound like it's a full band, it's, there are a few that are just this is John and George, or you know, um, I think uh, George Martin actually contributes and like on like the Mellotron at some point in one of the songs. So, um, so going back to the original question, like they absolutely lock in on um, Birthday, which is a much more uh, rock song. You know, it's the first song on the on the second half of the album. Um, uh, Obla Di, Life Goes On is a phenomenal song. I thought it was so annoying for like the longest time, but I oh, it is. I fell in love with that song this week again. Definitely, me too. My my daughters love that song. Yeah, because it, it's just so catchy, and I'm like, oh, this, you know what? Yeah, it's good, jingly. I mean, it's supposed to be like it's like ska influence. That's another thing too. We could talk about that. I know we're gonna wrap up soon, but like. It's it's there wasn't like any consistent like this is a rock album oh this is this is a thematic album exploring LSD you know like this is this was just like each artist bringing doing something creative and doing something different each song is totally different from the from the next song 
Except the ones where it seems like they're competing with each other. Like, how you can't ignore I Will and then Julia right after it. They're both acoustic pieces, one by Lennon, one by McCartney. Uh, one of them, you know, you can easily, like, in this album, I feel like because it is so individualistic, you can see the difference in songwriting capabilities and, like, where, they, where Lennon and McCartney are really coming from. And then randomly, Harrison's in there, but... Like, I think he wrote three songs on this album, two of them, Piggies and something else. They're both like, oh, long, long, long. That one's actually pretty cool. Um, but it's not, it doesn't really stand out. You can just see where they're all coming from uh, and where they really thrive in their songwriting. Um, but sorry, no, they, they definitely take off as a, as a quartet on like the, uh, I feel like uh, definitely on the rocks, rockier uh, songs. They just seem to be just be in lockstep with each other. And Ringo Starr is a sneaky good drummer. Um, for sure, it's nothing comp. It doesn't sound complicated, but it's it's quite rhythmic. Um, yeah. Oh man, yeah, man. I really struggled with this album. Like, even going into our review today, I was as I was trying to be really open minded. I'm like, okay, there's something about this album that I'm hoping Raúl and Libby can fill in for me because I feel such an emptiness listening to this album, and I think it's because listening to this album is kind of like me watching Jordan play baseball or like watching, I don't know, Kanye trying to sell clothes. Like it's, I, I know it's not what they're the best at. I know this is not the Beatles at their best. It almost to me shouldn't even be called a, a Beatles album. It's like a compilation of all their individual uh, careers here. It's like a preview to all their solo careers, which makes sense because all of their solo albums started to come in the early 1970s. So it, it, it doesn't feel like a Beatles album in the way that Beatles albums were really hitting in whatever, the mid 60s. So I guess that's where I want to go in terms of our uh, final thoughts for this album. I think that when I scan thematically what they were able to do on Revolver, Rubber Soul and Sgt. Pepper's, the through line and the consistency and that like collective magic that they were able to do, it it was difficult to say like, I can pull a Beatle out and the song will still be the same. But that's so easy to do on the White Album. You can say like, just pull one of these Beatles out of this song and then we'll be fine. I hate the fact that I'm listening to an album where I feel like I could remove a Beatle from it and still have a similar experience. You can't do that on Sgt. Pepper. You can't do that on Rubber Soul. You take one of those elements out and the, the album changes dramatically. So to me, this, is, this was sad to, to listen to because that collective greatness wasn't there. That collective, like, we're all doing this thing together and we're all picking up and building off of each other. It didn't feel like that. It was like spotlight on Raul, spotlight on Libby, spotlight on Tony, then spotlight on Chico after. And then, yeah, we'll throw Ben a bone if we have an extra 30 minutes on the album. And yeah, that, that was really disheartening for me to listen to. Obviously, there are classics on here. And my appreciation for some of those classics definitely grew. But I think it's because in the backdrop were songs like Piggy, were songs like Revolution 9, like songs that I'm like, yo, come on, man. Like, you fought for this clearly. And there must have been three other people that hated this song being put on there. So, yeah, I was, I was really bummed out listening to this album. But, man, Dear Prudence, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, Blackbird, I Will, Julia, Obli D, like, those are 
beautiful, beautiful collective Sonic products for me. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this album a six, um, just because there are some really, really remarkable songs on here. But man, this, this it's it's a it's, it was a sad listen because I I knew what they were capable of, and yeah, I'm with George R. R. Martin. Whittle this thing down to ten to twelve songs, and you got an album that can compete with Rubber Soul and Revolver and Sgt. Pepper. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. It, it, it does suck to, to hear, uh, you know, a group that we're all very much huge fans of and a lot of the world are huge fans of the Beatles. But it seemed like they were just working against each other as opposed to working in unison, man. That's very unfortunate. One of the, one of the greatest things about being in a group and in a band is the ability to feed off of each other. For us to be, you know, in the spot, Tony fucking plays a, uh, you know, a guitar groove, and then and then Ben finds something that's, you know, an octave higher on the keys, and then you got Libby coming and interweaving between both, and then Chico starts rapping something improv. It's nothing doper than building off of each other uh, with a, with a common goal in mind um, to create just greatness, man. The Beatles are exceptional group they're they're definitely one of the greatest of all time. but this album definitely showed what happens when things go sour man you throw a little extra pepper a little extra paprika in your shit and all of a sudden you your gumbo tastes god awful you know um and it, it was like a pissing contest it felt like it, like let's measure each other's johnson to see who got um, yeah. so yeah this album is 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 ex a huge example of how fame, money, outside influences, uh, you know, can impact the group's longevity. Um, in terms of my grading, I'm gonna have to side with Ben. I'm gonna give this a six. I think out of out of the 30 songs, there are maybe nine that I wish that were not on here, and then maybe two or three that, you know, you can debate it. But yeah. A lot of this song was skip album was skippable for me, so I'm gonna go with the six. I think uh, Archie agrees with you. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear him. Uh, I think Archie's I getting a, a, a zero, maybe. That's yeah, no, yeah, I think he's actually right in this last. No, he he enjoyed this album this week. He really did, actually. Um, I'm gonna be honest, man. I actually enjoyed exploring this album. Um, I quickly figured out which songs I would, I, you know, after the first listen through, I was like, all right, there's nothing here for me. Um, skip. You know, Revolution 9, I don't think I ever actually listened to that all the way through. That's um, not worth listening to. No, it's just, this, it's like just the same shit on like loop. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Because um, you know what, man, like whatever, like maybe take that in context, 1967 or 68, when this was, when that was written, I think they were still trying like, musicians artists producers were still figuring out what they really could accomplish in the studio so maybe at the time that was like a you know revolutionary thing for them that they could create all these sounds and shit and had like you know zero it's not coherent at all like you know fast forward 10 years dark side of the moon by pink floyd i mean like those they, i think they were like just probably just like messing around kind of it's, i don't know whenever i hear something like that i think of uh, george clinton's album the one that we listened to it was just like he's just pressing buttons and shit in like the studio like what, what's going on here um but uh sorry getting back to the point um i actually enjoyed going through this album um and filling in the gaps i it was a fun exercise 
quote I would so I actually enjoyed the experience more than I enjoyed the album to be honest if that makes sense um so I love doing this with you guys is that we can talk about it talk through it and just like enjoy the listen and get a much deeper understanding of the context the music where they were coming from and an appreciation of the artists like I'm definitely a Lennon fan after listening to this album um I can just snipe out the differences between McCartney and Lennon. Just instinct. It's just like, uh, he's too poppy and this dude's more ballady. Like, I get it. Um, it was fun. But, yeah, I'm right with you guys. It's definitely uh, I wouldn't give it a six. I'll give it a seven. Um, there were definitely there's a lot of songs in this album that I, I'm not going to put on my Spotify playlists. <laughs> you know, but um, I would listen to the album again. Let's get through the songs I don't like, but... Um, uh, yeah, I guess I had I had fun. Um, they are tremendous songwriters. They can really take something and make it something very simple, like "Dear Prudence" and "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." Like that walk down. When you listen to it, the arpeggios um, from "Dear Prudence," and I know it's strumming for "While My Guitar Gently Weeps," but like it's the the progressions are, are identical, just in a different key. Um, so it's almost like. Uh, John wrote Dear Prudence and then George was like, Oh, I got the same song. And it's just, I'm just, you know, I'll do it better than you. But, uh, yeah, I, I really, uh, I really enjoyed listening through the album. Um, but I don't think I agree. I don't think it was their best work. So, um, and it's certainly not an album that I can just sit down and listen to. I don't have the time to just sit there and go through it in one listen. So, um, yeah, I'll give it a seven. Word, word. All right, last question before Raul gives us his next album. Um, which Beatle do you identify with the most, and which Beatle uh, could you remove? I mean, I think remove is easy as Ringo. Yeah, I think you could do that. Yeah, it's, I think, pretty easy. No offense to, the, to Ringo, but it, it's, yeah. You can't remove John or Paul. I know, that's John. tough. How do you pick between them? Which one do I identify with the most? Mm -hmm. Oh man! Um, I feel like I feel like for me, it's definitely George Harrison. I I feel like I I love his background contribution, but I love that he has the ability to write on like you know, like he has that ability and he understands rhythm and solos. Uh, but he's kind of like the quiet Beatle. He's more in the background. So I I, feel, I definitely identify the most with George. I feel that. I definitely feel that. I can I can definitely appreciate someone who is not necessarily in the forefront but contribute just as much. Um I don't know, man. I'm gonna have to say that I, I the younger uh Paul McCartney is who I identify the most with, man. Mm. Yeah, just because of his songwriting and even though he was on a pissing contest in his album, man, he he's he's penned a lot of really glorious songs in, in his I'm gonna go with Paul. Yep. He wrote yesterday. Um, what'd you say? He wrote yesterday. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, I, I, uh, I, I'm more in line with George Harrison, just for really all the reasons that Ben mentioned, just being a, a, a sneaky background, like contributor, but like it's not about me. Never felt that way about really anything. I don't have that type of ego. But, you know, just produce and the people around you, you know, let the world just figure out on their own that, like, oh, man, this guy's fucking really good, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't want to promote myself and then flop, you know? 
not that fucking John Lennon and Paul McCartney ever had that problem, right? But no. um, for me, certainly, I, I don't want to. Uh, I'm more of a more of a humble pie. Anywho, yeah, man. What we got, Raul? Yeah, man. So I, to surmise, we have just uh, reviewed uh, the Beatles' uh, questionably classic album the white album i've heard a lot of people refer to this album as a classic and i'm like have you heard abbey road (laughs) yeah so uh for our next review uh 26 of our podcast i was debating which of these two albums and honestly i'm kind of surprised we haven't reviewed this this uh this singer artist yet and it's marvin gay you know to quote to quote the illustrious Libby, you talk about a sweet voice. This man's voice is the epitome of sweet. Uh, so I was tossing uh, between his critically acclaimed album, um, What's Going On, which is not what we're going to listen to. But we're going to listen to uh, an album of his released in 78, 77. No, 78. It's called Hear My Dear mm. uh, by Marvin Gaye. The, the album is basically about his divorce. So, uh, as far as the through line, that's the main theme. Word. But uh, it's a pretty dope album. I've listened to some of it, not too much in depth. I, I know we're gonna enjoy this. What's the name of the album? Sorry. Here, my dear. I'll send. I'll send the link. Okay. All right. Awesome. I'm excited. All right, Libby. Go take care of that baby. This is Infinite Rewind, episode twenty-five. I'm your host, Benny Bachata, joined by Scarbelly, and I'm working on number two. Peace and love, y'all. See ya. Bye-bye.